economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith and economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith and Economics Podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show today. I'm Luke Graham, producer and graduate assistant for the Gorney Institute. With us, we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gorney Institute and Wayne Nature Chair of Economics. We have Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics. We have Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Gorney Professor of Economic Education and Research. And finally, Cole McCray, uh, the Gorney Institute Undergrad Scholar. All right, so we thought we'd take a little journey on interpreting texts. Uh, Dr. Jacobson, is feeling inspired to teach us all what the Bible means, apparently. So, Peter, take us away. I don't know that I'll get to that, <laughs> but I think the declaration that best starts off this podcast is that the author is alive. And so there is in literature, especially, especially literature, but it kind of pervades a lot of fields, this idea of the death of the author. You might have heard of this before, that uh, the author is dead or, you know, we've experienced the death of the author. The idea behind the death of the author is a very popular one. Uh, I'd say it basically dominates scholarly literature in the modern day. And it's the idea that when an author stops writing a work, their particular views or ideas associated with the work uh, don't have any special significance. That once an author gives up the work, that it really belongs to everyone. And so you've probably heard things like this. In fact, even certain authors nowadays will like explain that that's true, even though they're wrong and thinking that in a certain sense. And so you'll hear people say like, oh, well, like an artist who writes a song, if someone asks them about the meaning, they'll say, well, I really want it to the, the, mean, the meaning to be whatever it means to the listener. And I, I don't really have a special insight into the meaning or something like that. Or sometimes authors will say the same thing that like, I want you to interpret from this thing what it means to you. And I think there's a sense in which authors can kind of do that, but there's also like a fundamental sense in which that's not possible. And so what I, I am bringing to the table is the idea that actually the author is alive and the only sense in which we can interpret te texts with any sort of like validity or have any interpretation that's better than any other interpretation of a text the only benchmark that it makes sense to do that with is relative to the author's intended meaning for a particular thing. And so a way that I would say it is the valid interpretation of a text is the interpretation that matches what the author intended to mean with that text. Text. So does everybody follow? I think I got your intent. Okay. Justin, any thoughts? None right away. Okay. There's two challenges to this view, the radical historicists and the psych the psychologistic challenge. And these are very similar, but I'll, I'll kind of summarize them. The radical historicist will say that the meaning of a text actually, it can't be the author's meaning. The, the valid meaning is not the author's meaning because meanings change from era to era. So if you read something today that was written hundreds of years ago, it's going to mean something different because you're in a different time period when you read it. And so the context around you has changed. Therefore, the meaning of the text has changed. I think fundamentally that's wrong. The psychologistic view that not only do things change era to era, but it actually could change from reading to reading. That like in a different reading, you could feel differently about something that's gonna change the meaning. 
And the meaning that you ascribed is equally valid to the authors. And so every time you read it, it comes to a different one. And so here are like a few examples. And, I, you know, I'm not going to spend time specifically on each one of those, but talk about the general things that are brought up in response. And so here's one thing that will sometimes be said, and this is especially by the psychologistic view is, well, the meaning of a text changes. In fact, it often changes even to the author themselves. And so you will find cases where an author will say, well, when I wrote this, I was thinking about this, but since then I've kind of changed my mind. And so this is considered like an ace in the hole that no, the original intended meaning is not the only meaning. And we can prove that because the author's meaning can change over time. But notice like the problem with that thinking. If the author's meaning changes, that implies there was a meaning in the first place. And so that original meaning still exists and it exists independent of what the author now thinks. In order to change something, you have to have a benchmark from where something started. And so actually this idea that the author can change their view of the meaning implies there was a meaning in the first place that the author had. Another criticism is, well, maybe it's true that the author is trying to communicate meaning, but the meaning is inaccessible to anybody who's not the author. And so like, it's impossible to get into the author's brain and you're never gonna be able to do that with a text. And especially if it's a really old text and there's a different culture. And so because it's impossible to get into the author's brain, we shouldn't really spend any time getting into the author's brain or trying to, we might as well just create you know, the meaning that is the most interesting or the meaning that is the most relevant to our modern times or something like that. Uh, this is the inaccessibility argument that fundamentally the author's thinking is inaccessible. The problem with this argument is that nobody behaves in their life as if this is something that's true. And so when you communicate with someone, you are always trying to share something with them. And communication writing implies shareability. If you've ever written something to anybody ever at all, you are trying to share something with them through the writing. That doesn't mean that you're super successful at doing it, right? You know, we've all sent a text message that somebody takes the wrong way, and it's because we weren't like careful enough with how we worded things. But the point is, we believe it can be done in our daily interactions. We believe it's possible to share meaning. Some things it's more difficult to share. And, you know, over time, maybe it becomes more difficult to share meanings but we all believe that it's possible. And so this idea that the meaning is inaccessible, well, in the sense of certainty, yeah, maybe we can never be 100% certain that we think that we know what the author meant, but we can be more or less certain, right? And the fact that we do have a belief about shareability in our normal communication means this extends to writing as well. And so the, now this isn't to say that certain things about a text can't change. For example, the significance of a text could change to you. And so in different states in your life, maybe different things that are written speak to you from different stories. Like maybe, you know, you're reading a story about a, a parent and you weren't a parent before, and then you become a parent and you have a totally different view of the story because now you're a parent. But that doesn't mean the meaning of the story has changed. That means the significance of the story to you and its meaning to you has changed. And so these are, are separable things. But ultimately, what I want to argue is that stories do have intended meanings, those intended meanings are written by authors at, you know, the time that they're put into the story. You can create other meanings if you want, but there is no benchmark by which, you know, your created meaning has any sort of standing over anybody else's created meaning except for the authors. 
the authors we can say is fundamentally different because it was there at the creation when we can measure things, we can benchmark things next to that. I want to take a bunch of different issues. Sure. <laughs> yes. I'm skeptical of the idea that there is a meaning or that we can stipulate what a meaning is independently of things like significance. Um, it seems like those things get all tangled up together. And like, I know what it is for a word to mean something in the sense that when I use meaning there, I mean referent. Like I know that, you know, Detroit refers to a city and that's, if you want to call that meaning, fine. But I don't think you do know that, by the way. And I actually think this is one of the disagreements that, that I, and by the way, I'm referencing, the reason I brought this up is I'm reading a book that I think is pretty good called Validity Inter Interpretation. And one of the the arguments that Hirsch writes is actually signs and symbols do not in and of themselves have meanings, that the meaning requires actually. So if I said, I'm going to Detroit you in the face, you would hear that word Detroit, but you're thinking to yourself, well, Detroit actually doesn't mean what I think it means there. The sign and symbol does not mean the right thing. And so actually the signs and symbols can and do change over time. And so they're not in the signs and symbols themselves. The meaning of Detroit's not in Detroit. It's in the intention of the person who's saying Detroit. The meaning of Detroit was in okay. Detroit. I okay. The word Detroit refers, uh, when I'm interpreting it correctly, um, it refers to a city in Illinois. I would say it depends on the intention of the person saying Detroit. I think that that's fundamentally wrong about the way language works. No, I disagree because there are words that we have. Please let me expand. Okay. All right. Okay. Expands. Just. Um, what does larch mean? I don't even know what that word means. You know what a larch is? No. It's a type of tree. Do you know what an ash is? Yes. Type of tree. A type of tree, right? Bug too. Or other things. Yeah. A cigarette. You know what your when you use the word ash, what's it referring to? Uh, I mean, a lot of times I'd be thinking of burnt my logs in my fireplace, that type of ash. But I can refer to ashes as trees, right? Um, I just did. Yeah. Uh, and I can refer to larches as trees. I just did. I don't know the difference between those two things. So in a society, what we usually call semantic externalism, semantic externalism is a part of it. It is that there is a division of linguistic labor such that certain experts can know the difference between different things. And we can use those words without having to know internally what the difference between those things is. And when yeah. you say that, you mean like our actual understanding of the difference between the two trees? Like that type of, ex like an expert would know, but we don't have to know and we could still say ashes and marshes. Yes, and our words succeed in referring to ashes when we are trying to use the word ash, right? So since this is the case, uh, this is the idea that meanings aren't necessarily just in someone's head. I, yeah, see, I don't, I don't agree there. And so there can be aspects of the thing that you mean that aren't in your head because we can't pay attention to everything at the same time. Just follow me for a second here. Imagine an iceberg. <laughs> Give me my naturalistic <laughs> fallacy here. Imagine an iceberg. There are things about the iceberg that I do not know and cannot see that are still part of the iceberg. And that's fine. The top part and the bottom part of the iceberg are still one units though. And so there can be unknown and unintended things about your meanings that you know you don't yourself, you're not fully conscious of, we could imagine. But so long as those things are attached to the thing that you do attend, intend to say when you say ashes, it's all part of the same meaning. Nothing that I've said 
stipulates that that's not the case. Okay. The idea that meanings aren't in the head doesn't mean that they're somewhere else. It just means that what your words mean is not fully determined by your psychological state. And it seems like what you just said is totally in agreement with that. It seems that this, the things that are intended by the psychological state have a like are a particular thing though. We don't have to call that meaning. We could call it meaning A or something like that. And that thing it can be attached to. Okay, like this that. started because I said Detroit was, refers to a city in Illinois because yeah. I know what it is for a word to no, be I just something. want to make sure. There might be a Detroit, Illinois, but I think a Detroit, Michigan myself. No, yeah, Detroit, Michigan. I don't think we disagree <laughs> here. I think right now, currently, yes, we would all agree that Detroit, and if I tried to refer to uh, Detroit as something else, I would be doing something foolish. I would be communicating badly. I just did it, and I got corrected, right? Well, I, I don't know about that. I, was, I wasn't actually listening to that part. Uh, but what I'm saying is, if I for the wrong state. The wrong state, yeah. Yeah. yeah the, he said, no, you're you're wrong. You're not referring to a city in Illinois. You're referring to a city in Michigan. Sure. Went, oh, you're right. Yeah. Right. So you can communicate badly, but if you intended, there is still something real behind talking about Detroit, quad Detroit, without you having to know what state it's in. And that intention that you had still like exists. Like there's still a sense in which it is real. And just because Russ says, oh, it's actually in Michigan what you were talking about didn't change in some sense. It changed in another sense, but it didn't change in a, a different sense. This started because I said, I know what it is for Detroit to refer. It, uh, I know what it is for an individual word to refer. I don't know uh, what it is in that same sense for there to be a specific meaning. That was my point of what you're taking as like a story or a text. Yeah. Because so, you said meaning is different from significance, right? Yes. Um, okay. I know what it is for a word to mean in the sense that I know it is for a word to refer or denote, right? The tallest person in this room, right? I know that that means the, uh, you know, there is one and only one person in this room such that they are the tallest. That's what the phrase, the tallest person in this room refers to. So I know that's uh, in, in philosophy of language, that's called denoting rather than naming. Peter is a name. It's just a tag. And the tallest person in the room denotes because it picks someone out via a description. I don't know what it is for a text to have a determinate meaning in the same way that denoting phrases and names have a meaning. I don't know why you wouldn't. A sentence can have a meaning, right? I think a sentence has a truth value. A sentence expresses a proposition. I don't know that you can say what a sentence means without repeating the sentence. Then let's call the whole thing truth values and be past it. Uh, let, let's say that there's like a certain truth value that an author imbues in a text. Uh, if they can do it in a sentence, they can do it in a paragraph. If they can do it in a paragraph, they no, can no, do it in a chapter. Sentences are true individually. Like to say the tallest right, person let's in you, room let's is let's ready use to that, Let's use semicolons then. And uh, made our, our, sent, no, our story. Peter, sentences are true or false, right? The proposition, like the tallest person in this room is wearing a yeah. yellow shirt. Something that's false. Falsified, right? That's false. Russ sure. is wearing a yellow sure. shirt. I, I, person I, yeah, but I don't, I don't understand shirt. what you're saying. I don't know what it is for a story to be true independently of its sentences being true. That is, I don't know what the meaning is when you're talking about the meaning. And you say, well, let's just call it a truth value. Truth values are true or false. It's binary. Is it possible for someone who's writing to be thinking, I want the person who reads this paragraph to understand this particular thing? 
Yes. Okay, that is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the meaning. Ah, right, that particular thing looks that like we... a time for a cold shower and a halftime break to come back so that these guys can continue on. We'll let them have a little break, get a little water, and uh, come back in just a bit. Ottawa University has an exciting new major, PPE, which stands for Philosophy, Politics, and Economics. Each of these fields is interesting in their own right, but they intersect in ways that are important to understand, both individually and for your community. If you find philosophy fascinating, but want to make sure that your study of the subject is practical, if you enjoy economic analysis, but want to see how economic laws interact with moral principles, if you are interested in politics, but want to explore how economic and ethical realities constrain our political choices, you should consider the PPE program at Ottawa University. This spring, Ottawa University is organizing a PPE League competition or politics, philosophy, and economics. Students in this competition will compete leveraging the ideas of philosophy, politics, and economics in various events. If you're a professor or an advisor of college students and you're interested in your school competing in PPE League this spring, contact Peter, Justin, or Russ today. By 2030, the Gortney Institute will be known for its alumni, supporters, and participants who incorporate economic understanding with their faith in their careers, vocations, communities, and personal lives. We have some great programming going on for high school students. We have an online microeconomics class. Yes, you can earn college credit for $200 by taking an online class. It's affordable, flexible, layered with support. Our new online micro is optimized for you. If you'd like to consider some events for your high school students or that class, please contact Justin, Peter, or Russ today. All right, we're ready for the second round. Ding, 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 ding. And the question teed up by Peter is... Well, so where we left off was I said that there, like, it, it is possible for someone to, tr to want you to understand something when you're reading something, and that doesn't take place over words or sentences or paragraphs or stories necessarily. It can take place over all of those things, or at the same time, or just one of them individually. And so... If that is possible, that sort of intention, that is the thing I'm calling meaning. Maybe you don't like the word that I'm using for that. Or maybe that's a problem, but that's what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about interpreting the meaning of something, I'm talking about getting to what was intended to be understood from you know the sentences, the words, the story as a whole. Okay, so that kind of sounds like it means something like the moral of the story. Would the moral of a story be the meaning? I, I don't care what word we use very much, and I don't want to get caught up on it. I, I'm okay with you assigning one, but the, the, the idea is like there is a thing that the author wanted to be understood when they wrote something, and if a reader wants to say that that thing is different than it is, they don't have a special status, but the original intended version of that does have a special status. So I think I agree with you about the author being... The weakest way to say it is like they have asymmetric authority over readers on what their their works mean, right? Uh, yeah, asymmetric, and there is an objective benchmark which does not exist by any other. You know, there there's no obvious other benchmark to compare someone's interpretation to. Yeah. So now I, my worry is that we have like seven different words. I'm not sure what we're talking about here. We have meaning, interpretation, significance moral now, can i just think in that the thing you're getting at i think is that the author's meaning is the truth 
um, the, the author's meaning is the relevant benchmark by which we would ever measure someone's interpretation. Interpretation is someone's belief about the meaning. Meaning and moral, I'm using interchangeably. You don't like that, uh, but I'm doing it anyways. And then significance is how the meaning or moral like makes you feel. And that's different from uh, your interpretation of what something means. When I read a paragraph and I'm trying to explain the things that the paragraph is telling me, that's different from how I feel about how, what those things are telling me. So here's why I phrased it much more conservatively, that okay. authors have asymmetric authority over what their uh, works mean. That is, take somebody like T.S. Eliot, who wrote The Hollow Man, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Any of you have to read T.S. Eliot's poetry in high school? Mm -hmm. It's yeah, really dense. It's really difficult. Um, if you ask T.S. Eliot what it means, they'll say, Read it yourself. It's all in there. Yeah, right? he's, he's in a sense wrong, at least. Uh, <laughs> maybe. Maybe not. Maybe that's why. Maybe he says, look, maybe we can take him at his word. It's all in there. What uh, what it means is what it means. Now, if you, on the other hand, disagree, if he says, well, it's about, you know, the death deaths in World War One and how senseless it was. And you say, I actually think it's about how ketchup is better than mustard. Right. Uh, obviously you know, we would defer to the author in that case. So J.K. Rowling was getting scripts for the Harry Potter movies at one point. And in one of the scripts, Dumbledore was recalling some past romance he had. I um, mean, it was a girl. And J.K. Rowling, Rowling wrote in the, in the script that she handed back to the producers, Dumbledore is gay, outlined, uh, underlined. She said, when I wrote the book, I was, I was I was intended Dumbledore to be gay, right? Now, if you read the Harry, Harry Potter books, Dumbledore is not engaging in any uh, homosexual activity in there. And there's no hint. Uh, and she doesn't really allude to it very strongly. But uh, the, they changed the movie because they said, oh, J.K. Rowling is the person who has the authority about what Dumbledore is. Right. Yeah. And so it, it, if she did intend that while she was writing that, that's absolutely possible that that's like yeah. a true. But it's also possible that she's wrong or that she's not telling the truth. Uh, that's also a possibility. And so you here, here's where where I, I want to get to is that the words cannot speak for themselves. It is always someone's meaning to the words that you are ascribing to them. And so we don't have a competition between the words and the author. What we have is competition between the author and the different readers and what they're what the values they're assigning to the words. Why I don't think words we we should be careful in saying like words have their own meanings is because there are cases when words have alternative meanings and we actually have to sort between those alternative meanings. And what do we use? Well, it, we could loosely say it's the context, but it's not even just the context. It's the intent of the author that's imbued inside of the context, right? The author wrote the context a certain way for a certain reason. And so still, ultimately, you have a competition between interpreters. You have a, co a competition between how the author was intending for you to, what the author was intending for you to take away and what you take away based on the words. But the words themselves don't take anything away for you. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying, I think you're reifying meanings in this sense. You're saying like, there's this competition between meanings. And, okay, tell me what these meanings are. Can you tell me what the author's meaning was? And then can you tell me what your meaning is? That's going to be more words. I, I, what do you mean? What do I mean? Yeah. Let me explain it to you in words. Yeah. If we ask like <laughs> Shirley Jackson, what the meaning of the lottery is, right? Have you guys read the lottery by Shirley Jackson? No. Short yeah. story. <laughs> Or they end up stoning oh, what the meaning is. 
Um, so I would take the meaning of the lottery to be something like, uh, you know, you can get caught up in crowd scapegoating behavior. Yeah, and I, I would say whether or not that interpretation is correct depends on if the writer wanted you to come away with that interpretation when it was written. That's what I would say. How do we figure that out? Uh, we do our best. We use like context, right? So we, we do use the words that they arrange, but that they intentionally arrange in a particular way. By the way, sometimes it might be really hard to figure out because the author might do a very bad job. Uh, but yeah, the, that, that's how we do it. So we use the words to figure out what the meanings of the words are, but the words themselves aren't doing anything. Well, not, it's not that they're doing nothing. It's that they are a tool used by the author. If the author tells us what they mean, how is that less accurate than us trying to decipher it via context? If the author actually tells you what they intended, then that would be more accurate uh, if they're able to do that. By the way, I, I'm not, I, I'm, nor am I making the claim that authors like always have a full, the, like the, the ability to pay attention to like the entirety of the meaning at a particular point in time. But like when I write a paragraph about what somebody did for the day and what I want you to take away is the things that they did during the day, um, whether or not you have a valid interpretation of what that paragraph means depends on whether or not you come away with the things that they did throughout the day. If you say that this is really about uh, the color blue and you know the the blueness of everyday life, and that's not what I intended, uh, then the, the, it's not about blue. It's it's about something else, and I can do a good or a bad job of pointing that out. So it seems like when you were saying the benchmark is what the author originally meant, right? While that's they were the, writing it, yeah. that's the standard meter against which we measure all yes. other interpretations. Yeah. But my point is that it doesn't look like we have any way of objectively figuring out what that standard meter is independently of us doing interpretations. There yes. is no standard meter in this case. What do you mean? If you say, well, the author, uh, the author could tell us the truth, but we can't tell. And maybe the author can't tell themselves either. Then well, ex, ex post, yeah, yeah, after the facts, but that's different than when they're writing the story. Uh, so yeah, if you could talk to someone about what they were in, intending to write while they're writing the story or something like that, sure, I'd say whatever they say is the valid meaning, absolutely. But you even said that, you know, some authors, you know, you can't, they don't have a grip on the whole as they're writing the parts. Right? Yeah, So yeah, and so as long as the, the part that they add later doesn't contradict the part that they say at the time, there's not a problem there, right? This is the iceberg thing, it's like, Part of it is visible at a particular time to the author. So long as it's not totally separate from or contradictory towards the part that's visible, then it's part of the iceberg just under the water. Something that can't be grasped by an independent third party or the author themselves at the time is a very poor objective standard meter. It can be partially grasped. And you're right. Yeah, we can't be 100% certain. Of course not. Uh, and there's no uh, metric for certainty in interpretation. Like the words themselves couldn't give us certainty about interpretation either. Yes. So maybe what we should say instead is just the weaker thing, which is authors have asymmetrically... Um, asymmetric authority. Asymmetric yeah. authority over what their works mean. But since we can't isolate that meaning independently of the author and the way we can isolate like the standard meter, we can measure things against it, right? Yeah, so Peter, maybe you could give us a, 
an example of what you're because I think I see where Justin's going is that we if we don't have that anyway, you're not you're not really adding anything by saying what you're saying. Unless, unless, and I don't know if you want to put it in a biblical context, because that's where I thought you were going with it, that we don't want to read more. You know, we were in a uh, place and time in Jerusalem or something, and and we can't read more than that context. I don't know if you have an example in mind. That, I, that would... Like we can use the lottery example earlier. I think we already did it, is that if the author, when they were writing the lottery, was trying to write a story about the the horrifying reality of scapegoating, then I think that that is the meaning of the story. Again, whether the author is very successful or not, I think that that's like the best way of describing the meaning of the story. Uh, so that's my example. And then if you came back and said the lottery is actually about uh, the cruelty of mob rule or something like that, well, that might have some of the same themes or something like that. Uh, and maybe you could even get some of that from the text itself. But the only benchmark that it makes sense to go from is what the author intended. Yeah, but I, I thought I was talking about an example where the author hasn't stated their meaning and we're kind of trying backwards to to get meaning from it. Yeah, but it, just because the author doesn't state it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So that's the important thing is like we can still say there is an A and the closer you are to A, the closer you are to the correct interpretation. Right. That doesn't mean that we have to be able to, with certainty, access the meaning or that the author has to be able to communicate it with certainty immediately. It seems like um, authors can mean their works to be completely ambiguous, too. Uh, in that case, it's like kind of a self-contradiction, though. It's like, yes, you it, here's the only way, sense in which that could be true, like in a full sense, is if you started scribbling down random things uh, on a piece of paper. No, uh, Look, there's a poem um, that involves a dog that gets pulled out of a well. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but the author at the end of it, it's, it's ambiguous whether the dog is alive or dead at the end. Mm -hmm. It's wet. Um, and it said that the well um, smelled like he brought the dog out and the rope. Um, sure. But I, I know what you're saying, yeah. but, but a valid finish. Okay. And when people would write to the author, they would say like, is the dog alive? And he said, I just told anybody what they wanted to hear. Okay. So it's ambiguous in the text. It seems like the author intended it to be ambiguous. That seems like a perfectly valid meaning that the author wanted there to be ambiguity. Well, as long text. as you say that there's no ambiguity, then you're correct in the interpretation. If you say there's no ambiguity, then yeah, there you so in it, there's a sense there's no ambiguity in the sense that there is ambiguity. Sure. I mean, ultimately there has to be something that you're like the author when if you say the author says this, if the author says it's ambiguous, well, then it's meant to be ambiguous. And see, if it's meant to be ambiguous on a meta level, it's unambiguous, right? See, this is the point though, right? Is that that's perfectly consistent with the author having asymmetric authority over what their stories mean. That the author can say, look, sure, it's alive to you, it's dead to you, or whatever, or I actually don't know. And so that's why I didn't put it in there. That seems to be... It's, it's also, though, not contradictory to the author determines the meaning. Because so long as the author is determining that the meaning is ambiguous, then it's still determined, right? There's no way to write a story in which uh, on a meta level, it's ambiguous. You at least have to, that's the whole point is when the author writes something, there's an intention behind it. And the extent to which we grapple with that intention is the extent to which we actually figure out what was being written. That's all I'm saying. I think the correct thing to say is that there are better and worse 
interpretations and that authors have asymmetric authority on which those which of those interpretations are better or worse. I hesitate to bring this up, but I thought where we were going to go a little bit is with the meaning. Can't they coexist in a sense that what this means to me or the meaning to me or uh, I don't believe in meaning to me. Are those not able to coexist? You do, though. You just call it significance. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, no, yeah. because because there's a, a fundamental distinction between what the, the category is. Like the meaning is what was intended when the story was written. The significance is how that makes you feel. And you can actually talk about those two things completely separately. You could correctly identify the meaning and have a different significance than the author has. And so they know they, they are completely separable concepts. Are you I trying? Still, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, it sounds like you're trying to like the reader's trying to answer a why question of like why am I reading this and why is this yeah they, be, because the author when they write something is trying to communicate something and we do this all the time when we talk we are trying to communicate something and in fact I can try to communicate to Justin my beliefs right now and I may do so poorly but does, Justin doesn't then get to say in a valid sense oh what you're actually arguing for is uh, you know, my belief, right? He can say that, but that's not at all my intention. So I, I, I actually, what, what I'm trying to say is the, we always intend something when we're speaking, we may or may not succeed at communicating that, but that's separate from whether or not we intend that thing. The intended thing is discoverable, at least with, within margins of possibility. It's maybe not fully certain, uh, maybe more difficult or easier over time, just like, when I go into a bank and I try to communicate, hey, I want to withdraw $1,000, I expect they're going to be able to withdraw that meaning from my sentence. If I went to the same bank in Mexico and tried to say that, uh, I'd be less certain that they would be able to pull that meaning out. And so, yeah, the, the context changes whether or not we think we're going to be effective in our communication, but it doesn't fundamentally change the communication itself or the intention behind the communication. And that intention is something that is an important thing to discover it is separate from how we feel about that thing. It does not change over time. There's no, uh, I read this in a different context, and so therefore it's changed. Uh, we can actually discover uh, what that intention was. So do you, do you disagree with this? Yeah, I think this is the idea that there is a meaning uh, rather than that there are better and worse interpretations. And I think that you're kind of skating around this. That uh, I think there are better and worse, but the better ones are the ones that approximate the meaning, or or we could say the set of meanings. If there's more than one, we could as long as they're determined, that's fine. And it could be a fuzzy border or whatever, but it has to have a cutoff. Better and worse, yeah. So I mean, even the based idea on that, what compared huh? to what? Well, we just established that if authors have asymmetric authority, right? If authors have asymmetric authority, then the author would be able to determine whether or not a particular interpretation approaches what they meant. I think I think that's actually true, but it's interesting because like, I actually think that that's true in a limited sense. I actually think an author doesn't have full authority today to explain which of the meanings was more accurate if for some reason they have forgotten or they struggle to remember, well, that's the same as forgetting, uh, you know, the political circumstances. Yeah, imagine. yeah. That's not what I meant. I didn't mean to include, mm. you know, offend so evil. Well, e e evil in either intentionally or unintentionally, like we, just amnesia, we could say. And, and so I actually don't think like the author today and their opinion, maybe it holds a higher consequence. But like, I also think you can 
use what they wrote and who they were at the time and those sorts of details about them to determine, oh, no, actually, this doesn't seem like what they meant, right? Uh, it seems like they were criticizing the group that got persecuted before they were persecuted, right? Yeah. So my problem is that I think meaning is being misused. I think that you can say what the only way to say what a word means is to either explain the role that it plays in a sentence, like and, the word and, uh, its function in a sentence is that if things on either side of it are true, then the, uh, then the whole uh, sentence itself is true too, right? Um, or is operates on a truth table where if one of the things on either side of it is true, then that larger sentence is true. That's, that's the meaning of those terms, right? You explain the, their role. The meaning of names uh, and of denoting phrases uh, comes from then things that in the actual world or you know, even abstracted that they name or denote. Uh, sentences are kind true of, or false kind of yeah no i like the, the problem with all of this is like we could imagine all of these things changing and then i didn't say act- anything about them changing i just said that for a given time at a speaker what you know what their words and mean. a speaker right yes because uh okay. yeah now but that's what i'm saying is like ultimately what it comes down to is for for a given time the speaker you the intention behind what is being said actually does hold like a special significance even prior to like the symbols being used or the sounds being made. I was making that point about words. Uh, Sentences as a whole are true or false. And uh, the only way to explain what a sentence means is either to repeat the sentence itself or to translate it into another language or idiolect. Okay. If uh, we translate it into a different language, like uh, snow is white, um, does that have the same meaning as la neige blanc? Probably. Yeah, it's snow is white in, in French, right? You could also say um, snow is the same color as my first rabbit, right? Um, does that mean the same thing? I mean, sometimes no. Uh, sometimes like languages, you have to translate things in such a way that it takes on additional meaning. So like, you know, some languages with masculine and feminine languages with like different forms, uh, imperfect forms in the Greek, for example, or things that don't translate well into the English. And so you either remove or add language when you translate between them. But depending on the author's intention, we can know what parts of the edition are superfluous and what parts aren't. The intention can only be expressed in language, though. That's the point. And given that there's a, there's at least some indeterminacy of translation. Um, yeah, then, then we're going to have more or less difficulty with getting the original intention, but it doesn't cease to exist because we have more difficulty finding it, right? Uh, we might have better and worse ways of articulating it. Yeah, but the I only way, uh, you know, there isn't like... Uh, this idea that there is a meaning of a story. There is a something I try to communicate when I write. And that's the thing, whatever you want to, whatever you want the word to be. If I write a, a short story and I want to communicate this, something in the short story, and I'm using my words to communicate that message in the short story, that thing I'm trying to communicate does exist. You don't want to call it meaning. I've been calling it meaning. We can call it something else. The thing that you're trying to communicate when you write a story or the set of things you're trying to communicate when you write a story that is accessible to varying degrees, you know, depending on the information that you have, the words, but also cultural context, other things like that. Like all of those things influence whether or not you are correct in assessing what the author was trying to get you to understand when you read the thing. Now, letters are no different. You have an intention with why you write a letter. 
uh, you know, you might not write it perfectly, but that doesn't mean the intention disappears, right? And we the, the, the inability to access the intention with certainty does not mean there was no intention. Yeah, uh, my point is that it's impossible to isolate the intention due to the indeterminacy of translation. We succeed, uh, we are better or worse at interpreting other people. Um, yeah, well, I think you could, like we, you could actually interpret something correctly. Like that's possible. If like, I thought just in writing this- If the author can confirm it. Well, no, no. I mean, just like, in, like in, independently of like whether or not you have confirmation, you can actually get something correct, right? Uh, Justin could say, write me a text that's urgent, and I could get, oh, Justin is communicating this urgently. Whether or not Justin can tell me that's what he was communicating, I would still be right if his thought was, this is urgent, and my my message I got away was, this is urgent. These meanings still match each other, whether or not we can say with 100% certainty that I'm right. All I'm saying is that it seems like you're saying there's something over and above the sentence that I'm communicating to you, and that's what the sentence is actually communicating to you, and I'm saying, no, you're correctly interpreting the sentence. The same sentence can have different, and the same sentence can be used in such a way that there are different valid interpretations. Uh, deep, and what separates the different valid interpretations is what the person intended when they wrote the sentence, right? And so you and Luke could send me the same sentence in a message, in a text message, and you could both intend for me to mean a different thing or intend for me to understand different things from the sentence. And whether or not I'm correct in my interpretation depends on what you wanted me to understand and whether or not I got that. That sounds like you're uh, e uh, appealing to some kind of mentalese, something over and above the language. Yeah, there, there is some. Yeah, we. we what is it? Uh, purpose, intense. Yeah, will. Communication is an act of will. Meaning is meaning is uh, uh, meaning is only makes sense with reference to will when it comes to writing. I don't even know what that okay. means. <laughs> okay. okay, there are just the words that I'm saying. You can interpret them correctly or you know, incorrectly. There, there aren't just the words because the words can stay the same, but the meaning can change over time. And like you, there are there are things outside the words which govern whether how we should interpret the words. In fact, even outside other words, even outside the written context, none of that is uh, opposed to what I've just said. Well, if it doesn't, if it's not the words themselves, then it it can't be just the words that are communicating it. It has to be something else with the words. We communicate. We understand each other better or worse. We use words to do that. There isn't something, a different language that the words are smuggling in. There's just the words. I don't know. I don't agree with that at all. You have to interpret my words as uh, you know coming from me and that they express my intentions, but those intentions cannot be articulated other than in words. Other than in words, yeah, I, I agree with the articulation, but that doesn't mean you can't find the intention. That That's a, a separate question. And when you do, it's going to be describable in words. That's People can use the same word to mean different things. I've and, said a thousand times, yes, they can. And the same we sentence. We all know that, right? To, Me means separate sure, things sure. when and, different people say so it. No, well, just keep following me for a second. Okay. And, and the same sentence to mean different things, right? Yeah. And there can be non-word things that govern which meaning I interpret uh, from that sentence. Context? Like just not, not written context, while we're having this though. conversation. Or? Yeah, not written context. Yeah. Okay. You have to interpret someone's words with the totality of what you know about them and their current behavior. Why would what they why why would what you know about them matter? 
because if I know that you are speaking, that you are a what are you trying to access from them? French. You're trying to get their attention, right? Interpret them. Yeah, you're trying to understand what it is they want you to understand. Yes. Yes. And that will be in language. Yeah, but it's there's nothing over and above uh, their language. To communicate with somebody, it has to be propositional. There is no way, there's no like meta language above our language that this, this, these, these are the real propositions being communicated. Like take Lanesia Blanc and Snow is White, right? Um, some people, and I think incorrectly, say there is a meaning that both of these things have, and that's why they're identical, right? That's why they mean the same thing. And I think the right view is no, um, they mean the same thing because they're accepted in the same uh, circumstances based on what the reference of each of the parts of those sentences mean. Uh, We'll have to continue a different time because (laughs) I'm not really getting what you're saying. I I think uh, this is the total worst layman's position, but uh, they're kind of intrinsically wrapped up with each other, I think is what Justin's saying. And you seem to be thinking that there's this intent, a meaning that exists on its own. And then we have to use our communication tools to try to deliver that. But even as we do that, that's where misinterpretation, because that's always sitting up there. I'm saying there is no non-linguistic proposition. Like propositions just are linguistic. Mm-hmm. We can only articulate propositions in a language. So it doesn't make sense to say we're going to test our propositions against this other vague thing, meaning. Um, we can only test propositions against propositions and against the world. No, I, I if you want to say it's it's in language, the, that the intention is in language or something, then that's fine with me. But like, who can here's a here's a, a way of our doing our, our test for our interpretation. Who can best restate what 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 the author was trying to do with the words that were on the page? Who can best restate that? I think the person who can best restate it has the most valid interpretation. The person who is worse at restating it has worse interpretations. Okay. That's all I'm saying. Let me put my position on the table because I think I agree with your conclusion, but I think the way you're arguing actually opens you up to that conclusion being impossible to defend. If the meaning is something that is abstract uh, and in the author's head and something different than the language that they're using, which they might not even be themselves capable of articulating at any given time, um, then it seems like all bets are off and any interpretation can be as good as the other because we don't have anything to uh, compare it against, right? Or the thing that we do have to compare it against is so abstract that nobody can locate it. You can locate it using the like using the words, right? But I I've been saying that the whole time is like, yes, it's true that we can't with like certainty like mine the depths of the brain and find the thing and pull it out and compare, but we can get as close as possible using the words and to varying degrees of certainty. So authors have asymmetric authority, complete authority. You just said that they might not know what they're doing. Um, And you also said that authors like later 
you know, they can change the while they're writing, right? though, like the, the standard is what they're intending while they're so writing. Isn't the best expression of what an author is intended to intending when they're writing the thing that they're writing? No, I don't think so. Yeah. And we'll pick up there. <laughs> different podcast i think we have some pizza waiting for us listeners and this one might be a little bit munched over and maybe we will end up having a part two but uh unless anybody's got a final 10 second thought or do we wrap there i'll defer 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 and we go to the judges table it's a draw all right well this has been a production of the gortney institute here at ottawa university i'd like to thank you all for listening Five-star rating helps other people find us. Other than that, be fruitful, multiply. Thanks.